our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode 151 for October the 16th, 2019. I am Wes Fryer joining you from Oklahoma City where it is a lovely fall evening. I think the low is going to be in the 50s. And it just, it feels great. We've waited so long for fall this year. And anyway, I'm I'm happy because the weather is nice. But I'm also happy because Carl Hooker is here joining us and Jason Neifer. It's his birthday, actually. So happy birthday, Jason. Um, but he is out and about, uh, as, as often he does, I think, traversing the state of Montana, uh, bringing in, you know, bringing healing to ed tech, distance learning, uh, and virtual schooling all, all about there. So welcome, Carl, back to the ed tech situation room. Excited to have you here tonight. Thank you for having me. And yes, I too am a fall person. I, unfortunately in Texas, we don't really get a fall. It goes kind of summer and then it just becomes winter. But, um, I do appreciate the thought of fall. So thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Well, and so catch us up a little bit. You have made uh, some changes in the past few months. Uh, what, uh, what, what should people know about where Carl Hooker is these days and what you're up to? Well, after 21 years in education, I have kind of looked at uh, my wife and I have been doing kind of the side work of me traveling and speaking and, and consulting. And it just uh, this last year, we kind of reached a point uh, in many different ways in our life was personally with our kids and their ages and my parents and their ages. Um, and then also professionally with just kind of where I was going professionally in the district I was working with, plus uh, kind of where I wanted to go professionally with the side work. So we made the choice and uh, I'll tell you, it's exciting and scary at the same time, but we, we left the district. And so I, I, my wife hates it when I say I'm semi-retired or I, I'm unemployed. She's like, no, you're not. You're self-employed and that's it. So now we get to deal with the joys of private healthcare and all that funness. But uh, um, that said, I'm really enjoying it and it's been great. I've been working with a lot of great schools. So I'm still connected. That's the thing that always worries me about leaving a school district is is not having my feet on the ground. And so actually where I'm at right now is in Chicago, working with a great district called uh, Western Springs D101. And they are, they're amazing. So I was in the classroom today um, teaching first graders. So it's still... I'm still in it and uh, still a big part of what I do, but I'm excited for all the opportunities in front of us. So, um, yeah, just, just kind of taking the plunge, man, and uh, seeing what happens. Um, always fun with uh, three little kids at the same time. So we'll see how this goes. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, my wife, I, I saw, I think, some tweets when your post about, you know, taking the trailer and heading out. And I don't know, what was, there was some, uh, I'm like so TV illiterate, actually, um, but it was a show where they were on the road going place to place. My wife has dreamed of that, you know, so I was hearing about you guys hit, hitting the road in the RV and thought, yeah, that sounds like a great way That's to start our, uh... a new season of life. For sure. And that was our, that's our yearly tradition anyway, was always to do what we call hashtag hooker trek, whatever year. Right. So hooker trek 14 was our first. And now it's where well, it was hooker trek 19 this last time. And we did 19 days. We don't, we try not to plan it exactly the year, the amount of days, but it did. You're right. It worked out perfect. It was a great transition. Um, so I got to spend a good 19 days solid trapped in a motor vehicle with my family and we're still, you know, alive and happily married, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> But I did find out that those things are called paper mache on wheels for a reason because, yeah, I got some, some big repair bills when that trip was done. But uh, uh, it was a great, great to reset and then kind of also recalibrate where our priorities are and 
and kind of think about where we're going forward from here. So I'm excited about the future. Awesome. Well, we are going to probably have a wide ranging conversation tonight, but uh, we want to give a little voice to our chat room. So shout out to Don Wetrick, who's joining us on Facebook Live. Hey, Super Don. Cool there. And shout out to Peggy George, our number one fan out there in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> Wishing Carl congrats. Um, we do want to Thanks, encourage... Peggy. Anybody who would like to comment, if you're in Facebook, uh, we'll see those comments um, here on the side. And same thing for YouTube. And sometimes I can jump over uh, in order to, to comment back. But uh, well, this is the EdTech Situation Room, and we are a weekly show that happens generally on Wednesday nights, uh, as we have just you know, started here at 9 p.m. Central and whatever that means for you in your neck of the woods. We generally talk about recent technology headlines through an educational lens, and we usually have more links than we have time to talk about, which will probably be the case again tonight. But we want to encourage you, if you would like, to go to our website, and that website is edtechsr.com slash links, and you can find a Google Doc there which Carl and I have been populating with some different links and news. And, you know, we make up the rules here. There are no sponsors. There is no money. <laughs> this is just fun. And uh, so who knows? We, nice. we, we may or may not, you know, just follow the regimen. But generally, we're going to end with some Geeks of the Week. And I think Carl's got a couple great ones. And so as as the guest, Carl, do you have a, a particular article or topic you'd like to start with? Or I'm happy to begin. It just what, what's your pleasure? You're, you're our guest. So it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was just looking at some of the links you posted in there. And, and also, of course, um, just chatting with some folks on Twitter and Facebook today and looking at the news, we're really living in a unique time in history, especially in United States history with what's happening with our president. And I, and I don't want to get too political, but it is interesting to, to see kind of the reaction, um, both the good and the bads of social media is interesting because it does make things happen. It seems like it's happening all the time and it's widespread, but I also find that it gives a voice to a lot of different people. So one thing I've been trying to do lately um, around that is, is even with people that I know I disagree with politically is just try to reach out and talk to them about like, how do we come to a common ground? Because honestly, you know, 80 percent of of Americans are the same and agree on a lot of things. Um, it's just that 20 percent difference that we have. And. How do we get away from the from this world of divisiveness? So um, before I came on with you, I was watching, of course, you know, what was happening today in, in, in the White House with Nancy Pelosi. And there's a great photo of her just kind of standing up to, to the president and all the and all the faces. I mean, it's a thousand words. The pictures were a thousand words. And it was just interesting. So I did. I put that on Facebook just to ask people to caption it. And it's been a, a wide range of people. I had a history teacher just, you know, say, yeah, this is this is called checks and balances for a reason. And I think it's it's powerful to see U.S. history happening in real time. So. Just wanted to give a little disclaimer because it was fresh on my mind before we came on tonight. Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked on the show quite a bit about uh, the weaponization of social media, uh, disinformation, uh, the ways in which there's a lot of folks. I think, um, well, we uh, I, I go all of us, uh, Rachel, our, our sophomore and Shelly and I are both, you know, at a private school now that is an Episcopal day school. Uh, and so on Wednesday mornings, a lot of times we will we'll go to chapel together. And so the uh, uh, message today was talking about, uh, you know, Ellen DeGeneres and uh, former President George Bush. And, you know, yeah. how crazy it was that social media exploded about how could you possibly, you know, sit down and talk to this person and all this. But, yeah, we got to figure this out. Right. We got to figure out, you know, how how is it that we're going to have dialogue? And honestly, and, and of course, this is not a political show. We're not just going to talk politics. Uh, but we'll touch on some things because, you know, technology news does. Um, 
this is tough to figure out. And I think because of the show and these conversations, I've, I've become, you know, increasingly aware and, and I need to, you know, be sharing with my students. I mean, we got to figure this out. How does representative democracy right. work in a world where the news cycle, to your point, has become a 24-7 cycle? It's not just, you know, Monday through Friday and people take a break on the weekend. I mean, it is all the time. And technology plays a huge Role in that. So I'll segue with that to an article I put under the title of media literacy. Uh, and this comes to us from the Washington Examiner on October 15th. And the title is, uh, Kentucky video ABC said was slaughter in Syria was spread by Washington, Wash, uh, Turkish politician. And so we have talked before Ironic. on the show yeah. about the ways in which especially, I mean, this can happen at any time, but in any kind of a crisis, it could be wildfires in California. It could be, you know, wars in, in the Middle East. Um, how do we know that a video that has been taken is valid? It was from that location. It was taken at the time it was purported to be taken. And so it is just extremely challenging for those things to be vetted. And the, honestly, there's a huge responsibility on the part of mainstream media journalists to try and vet that stuff. There's so much pressure to get clicks and get stuff out there. But, you know, this kind of thing has happened, will happen again. Um, and so this was actually like at a, at a Kentucky, uh, like shooting range where they were, you know, blowing up pyrotechnics. And this Turkish politician who has spread disinformation before and, and false things said, Oh, look at this, the about talking about the Kurds having stuff blown up, you know, in, in Syria. And it was just wow. a completely false video. So. You know, media literacy, we all need it. And it's something because we all can share now so readily, like almost frictionless sharing on, you know, Facebook for the older generations, uh, you know, uh, Snapchat. Uh, we may talk a little TikTok, which I'm not actually, that's one platform I haven't joined at all. But anyway, these different platforms, the, <laughs> the virality and the velocity with which things can share, be shared and spread today is incredible. And so we have some responsibility when it comes to, you know, what is it that we're going to choose to share? And and I think definitely what a lot of outlier voices want to do is use social media, whether that's, you know, Reddit, 4chan, other other places, you know, and get something at YouTube, you know, moving up enough that mainstream media catches it. And then, you know, things get get pushed out even more. So did did what did what did your take on media literacy? And is that something um that kind of fit within digital citizenship in EANS or, you know, kind of how do you see, I know that you are a big champion of digital citizenship as, For sure. as a presenter. So. Yeah. I, I like to use the word digital wellness, it's a, but it's really just a nuance in some ways. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, you know, looking, thinking about what you were talking about with the video part of it. And, and I know you've talked about in previous episodes about the deep fake videos too, you know, the ability to just quickly change videos on the fly to make people look like different people and sound like different people. Um, so I think it's becoming more and more of a, of a higher need. And I don't know when we tie this into schools. A lot of schools I've been working with lately, you know, they talk about, well, we do a month where we spend on it or we spend, a, you know, a day once every semester on it. I really think it has to be embedded. And, and so one of the things I've been trying to model lately with teachers, at least when I go into classrooms, is like, even if it's like today when I work with a bunch of first graders, it was, um, you know, guys, I'm going to we're going to take a picture. But I want you to know that this picture is not going to go on social media. And they kind of gave me this look and I was like, you know, that when someone takes your picture, you need to talk about when is it going to be posted? Who's posting it? You know, asking them for permission. I've been doing my kids since they were able to walk and talk and it's now embedded in them. But I do think it's something that has to be embedded in the classroom. I can't just be I mean, and I love that Common Sense Media has has a curriculum and um, I just think it needs to continue to grow. And it's going to have to. 
Um, and if anything that we've learned is, is don't always follow the adults lead on this because we're, we're, we're sometimes the worst when it comes to models for it. I, I and, and I'm guilty as charged too. Sometimes I've read not as much anymore, but when I you know, started out on Facebook, I'd see something in like a headline and then read a little clip. And they're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And I'll post it on Facebook and not even reading in, in throughout it going, oh, wow, it says, you know, uh, research says, but there's no actual link to actual research or which is always just a bugaboo of mine. I hate it when I see an article that says a study says, but then you don't actually see the study or where it goes to, or is it actually a vetted study or is it, is it backed by a company that's trying to make money on the study? So, I mean, that's some deep level stuff that we have to get with kids. And that's probably older kids, obviously, but just kind of having that kind of thought in the back of their mind when they read something to think, hmm, is this somewhere else? And is it posted in different views, right? Um, so yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, if we're not there yet, it's going to be, it's going to be one of the bigger issues that we're going to be facing over the next several years. Yeah. Peggy George in our chat room is agreeing about the importance of embedding media literacy across the curriculum and not just having that as a one shot deal. Um, I just dropped another link into our show notes. And by the way, we'll, as we mentioned links, those all, those will get into the show notes that will be on, you know, for this post that we, we have on edtechsr.com. Um, I actually was interviewed by Vicki Davis about two weeks ago on her 10 minute teacher podcast. And so that dropped yesterday. Um, The title she's got there is understanding the deep fake, a troubling trend. I actually Mm -hmm. pulled up, uh, you know, articles that we've talked about here from, you know, this Chinese app that um, was allowing you to, you know, put your face on Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio and, and have, you know, your face in different kinds of Hollywood scenes, which is kind of fun to this specter project where this artist in, you know, response to the Nancy Pelosi uh, drunk uh, disinformation videos, um, put, put, you know, Donald Trump and Kim Kardashian and then Mark Zuckerberg. If you haven't seen those, and in fact, that's a great media literacy. That would be a good one. He makes Zuckerberg say things like, yes, collecting all your information and making the surveillance state is what we live for. We are so happy to be, you know, manipulating you and using you, blah, blah, blah. I mean, stuff that he'd never say. But if you're somewhat, I think, critical um, and paying attention, I mean, the the surveillance capitalism model is what both Facebook um, and to it and to a large degree, Google as well, although I think Google has been a lot more forthright in giving us opportunities to be able to control our history and and turn things on and off. But I mean, they're not, you know, without potential uh, criticism as, as, as well in terms of how all that works. So and that yeah. kind of brings it, and that brings up another point, which I know we're going to get into too about data. But I, I, you know, when I'm talking to teachers and parents and students about um, digital wellness, a new a thing that I think they're not worried about enough is actually data privacy and where their data is going and who's using it. And I think we spend a lot of time focusing on screen time, which you know it's easy because you can see it and you can monitor it and track it. But I think what's harder to do is say like who actually has access to your data. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you watched the Democratic. Um, debates last night and i know you mentioned yang before too but you know his whole idea of like saying our data is a commodity and we should have a share of it which is a very outside box thought um but it's true i mean companies are using it i would just i just got to visit amazon headquarters about two weeks ago in seattle um which is an amazing base uh, everybody has a dog it seems like which is really a different whole side did, did story you go in that new that, that new area that's like the biosphere whatever those bubbles the spheres. yes we did get to go into the spheres and uh visit uh you know, they have these little areas like called nests that are basically like meeting rooms that are basically floating up above. It was, it was surreal. I'll just say that. Um, but they let us take pictures, which was nice. But once I got into the actual building, it was badge to badge to badge to get to any single floor and anywhere. Um, and, 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 you know, and I think they're aware of it and they're, they're actually very concerned. I worked with a lot of folks with AWS, which of course does 
kind of runs the data servers of just about everywhere in the world, it seems like. Including um, our podcast, so, by the way, we, we host on Amazon. S3. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, AWS. Yeah. Um, I do think they're worried about it. And, and after visiting, and now I've got to visit Apple, Facebook, Google, and um, and Amazon, just seeing the big ones like that and seeing how each of them kind of tackle this. Because Facebook, I don't know if you know this, but they're trying to really push to an education wing. Um, it's a small part right now, but I just I got to meet with them also a few weeks ago. And just told them, like, these are the things you're going to have to overcome, obviously. And that's just kind of belief that Facebook is, you know, evil and also easy to share lies. And I think recently, I think Zuckerberg had some sort of uh, something that he was supposed to pull and, and or didn't pull um, because he didn't want to make sure it was a slant one way or the other, even though it was obviously some sort of fake ad. Um, I think he's just like saying, OK, it's just a platform. Don't don't blame us, you know, which also is a little bit disturbing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you think about all that, but. Well, identifying bad actors is incredibly challenging. Um, I've referenced before, I think it was in April at the Atlas conference that I shared this, uh, filtering the exo flood is what I call the workshop. Um, but mm-hmm. we took a look at a great, great video series that, uh, Destin, who does smarter every day did the one on YouTube just will blow your mind. You know, the amount of sophistication to the disinformation campaigns, which you know, some of these are state actors that are in our news talking about, you know, Russia and, and, and other, you know, entities, but also non-state actors. And there are incredibly smart people working on this, right? And they are trying to figure this out. And it is incredibly hard when you're in the role of censor to, I mean, some things are going to be over the line, like, oh gosh, here's a live shooting, you know, happening at Walmart in Colorado. Right. I mean, I don't think anybody has a, or New Zealand or questions about that, but in, in terms of the, the different disinformation and the ways in which, um, you know, we're, it, there is the thing of it's nothing's new under the sun, right? Because yeah, people have been trying, sure. you know, think about pamphleteering in the early days of, of colonial America, you know, and the ways in which, mm-hmm. you know, we've always had politicians trying to smear each other, trying to, you know, get some propaganda. kind of slogan. Yeah, yeah it's, it is, it's propaganda. And so anyway, that's, I haven't yet. I get to teach. I'm teaching fifth and sixth grade computer class. And this is we've called it media and digital literacy. And it's actually media literacy, digital literacy, digital citizenship and keyboarding. Got to keep the keyboarding in there. Uh, We do a little bit. But, you know, advertising really lays the foundation for this. And and so I'm hopeful. I just was realizing our term is going to end like, you know, right at the beginning of November. I have about 26. I meet every other day with my with my students. And it's just not that much time. Um, But laying the foundation for thinking about advertising, the ways in which people are trying to, you know, hack our brains. They are. They're trying to get you to, to go buy something, maybe to be dissatisfied, maybe to think poorly of yourself so that you go out and buy something else. And anyway, it's uh, we are the most advertised to generation in the history of the planet. And so I don't think we're doing enough, I would say in schools and then maybe even, you know, obviously this varies wildly, but even as a fam in families, you know, we gotta, we gotta talk about this stuff and because it's powerful, right? We know that social media is a huge influence. I've mentioned this on the show before that uh, our 10th grade daughter has been uh, exposed to more outlier conspiracy theories, whether it's flat earth or we didn't land on the moon or all this stuff, you know, because <laughs> of YouTube. But, and so we got to talk about these things, right? And yeah, anyway, sure. it's, uh, it's wild because you can't, it's not just three channels that are on at, at night and, you know, we're, we're all, you know, kind of consuming it at that screen. Um, 
in general, we've got, you know, everybody preferring, isn't that odd? A small screen. Is that, is that true in your house? Do people pre- pre- prefer a small screen versus the big or? We're, we're still kind of mixed. So, you know, I have a six, eight and 10 year old and, and it's interesting because just the other day I was having a discussion with somebody about the fact that the kids don't know what commercials are, right? Because they're always, we're on Netflix and we have our smart TV. Um, they each have their own iPad. And of course I've got them all set up with screen time and the right amount of filters and, you know, and, and still on occasion, you know, they'll stumble into something, which is always an opportunity for a conversation. But um, I say our kids, my kids still prefer kind of a larger screen. My 10 year old did get a phone uh, recently. My, my parents gave her um, their, one of their extra phones because they just switched up to a new iPhone. And uh, the deal was that she has to pay half the plan. So she's paying $5 a month on this $10 uh, add on line. But it's amazing the responsibility she's already, we, we spent years obviously building up to this moment. <clears throat> so just the other day, I'll give you a quick antidote. We were talking, we were hanging out with some friends at a pool and, um, she, uh, she goes, she goes to school. She actually is a really good friend with a girl who goes to one of these non-tech schools. You know, have you heard of, you know, it's like Waldorf, you know, those kind of schools. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it was an interesting situation because, um, I saw a bunch of, of people kind of milling around a, a little parking lot right near the, the pool and my daughter was over there. And there's a couple of teenage boys and I didn't, I kind of gave me, gave him a look and thought, what's going on? Anyway, later on, it comes to find out my, my daughter had walked over and she said that they were filming these girls and they're like, Hey, if you dance and do a bunch of crazy dances in your bathing suits, I'll, I'll, you'll, I'll put you on TikTok or get you on YouTube and you'll go viral. And so the girls were just starting to do crazy stuff. Let's go viral. And my daughter said, you don't have my permission and walked away. <laughs> and I thought, you just earned your phone, young lady. Thank <laughs> you. She yeah. smiled ear to ear. But also, I mean, it made me think, like, what about the kid who's never had any tech exposure at all? In the case of the other 10-year-old who's gone to a non-tech school or her family doesn't have a lot of tech. And so what's her exposure? And it's, she has had none. So she has no idea, like, oh, yeah, I'll just become viral because I've heard that word. Um, so I do think we need to have those early conversations. And I, and you're right. I mean, the ad parts, it's hitting us on all sides. And I, they do watch a lot of YouTube. So I'm sure there's little pop-up ads. They do this thing. I don't know if you know this with kids, but they, they watch other kids playing Minecraft on YouTube, which is really oh strange gosh. to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel Dude. like an old man. Like, why, why are you well, watching my, other my kids son, play Minecraft? My son does too. He's a senior in college. He loves to watch gamers, you know, playing. It's, it's, and by the way, there's, there's millions of dollars. You know, we had yes. uh, some Fortnite, a Fortnite winner with one, walk away with a hundred million maybe a month yep. or so ago. Crazy. A it's ninja, crazy, man. It's crazy a, world. Got a, it's crazy. You got a 90, what, Ninja got like a seven minute, uh, seven digit contract, seven figure contract, um, which is crazy. I mean, the highest paid gamer of all time. And, and, uh, and the, scholarships the best friend, are up to the roof. I think there's like 120 schools now that are offering it. Yeah. yeah, the best friend of our athletic director is taking a year off of Oklahoma State University. He was in that tournament in New York and walked away with 80% of 40,000 because the late there was 100 people in that tournament. What? Everybody got at least 40,000 in his contract with his group, which, by the way, you know, kids are getting exploited, you know, in terms of what kind of deals yep. they sign, but he gets 80%. So that's not a bad haul for a 19 year old who's pretty, pretty good, wow. you know, with his thumbs. So. I'm just trying to figure out how to drive still at 19. That's crazy. Mm. <laughs> that's wild. Well, hey, I'll, I'll segue to a, a related article here. So this is from Reuters on October 4th. We were actually off last week. So we got, anyway, we'll have, we'll have, you know, not just last week's articles, but uh, the headline here is FBI director warns Facebook could become platform of child pornographers. And in our last show, uh, the beginning of October, I, I had mentioned this really disturbing 
um, article in the New York Times that was talking about how what what exponential growth in child pornography has looked like and how that is something politicians and many people just do not want to t- want to talk about and to deal with. But it really is mm. a dark side. Um, this is interesting because in the article, what they're talking about is that, um, you know, where they've been talking FBI wise um, about encryption and how we shouldn't do this. And they focused on terrorism. Now, you know, their focus sounds appears to be more talking about, you know, we got to stop child pornography. And they've got some statistics in the article about just tons and tons, because this is the thing about Facebook, right? Apple has been kind of the champion of, of uh, privacy and encryption and things like that. Privacy. And yep. so there's very, very few, um, you know, Claims that that Apple is is sending um, and and that's being obtained because of encryption, and so they're saying as Facebook you know transitions over to encryption, um, they're going to have basically uh, a, a greatly reduced ability to look into the messages of of people and then be able to capture folks that are using the Facebook messaging platforms, you know to to do these you know totally terrible and and bad right. things. So what are your thoughts on the whole encryption debate and where, where all that goes? It's a double-edged sword. I mean, I remember, wasn't it a terror, uh, a, a, a domestic terrorist, was it a couple of years ago that Apple, where they tried to get a cell phone, remember, and get mm-hmm. to hack into a smartphone? The FBI ended up, FBI ended up hacking into the phone anyway. Well, they hired an um, Israeli company, I think, actually, to do that. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. That was the um, Sam, Sam Bernardino shooter, I think, was what that was. That's right. Um and it's kind of this whole, it is that double-edged sword of like, we want to have the fine line of privacy, you know, and I was thinking again, back to that debate last night, that, that there were the companies that were mentioned, it was app, it was not Apple, it was Google, Amazon, and Facebook, which made, in my head, was like a glaring omission of one of the largest tech companies in the world. But I wonder if it's because they've been spending so much time really working hard on the privacy part of it. Um, so kudos to them for doing that. But you're right, it's going to, it's going to put us in this in a weird spot. Um, and and I, not, I say us, but I would say more of the people out there that are that that have to kind of keep eyes on all these things. They're, they're paid a lot more than you and I are to make these decisions. But at the same time, I think about, you know, where where does the moral ambiguity end in terms of what we're watching and what we're watching? When is it allowable for us to kind of peek in on what we're doing? You know, it's funny. I have uh, we have three Alexas in our school, in our house or four of them, one in the kitchen and three, one in each of the girls rooms. Because we use it as an intercom system. And I've had people say, you know, aren't you worried that she's listening in? And, you know, it's funny they call her she, by the way, but um, that's another thing. Um, but uh, I was like, you know, it's you, you have to kind of think about that. But I also think, like, what what is she listening into? I mean, what kind of third we're, we're not coming up with some sort of nuclear secrets in our house. Um, so part of me is like, I kind of dismiss it. But it is something that is worrisome. And I do think about it a lot. And I think as we start heading down the road of decryption, we're going to have to have some hardline stances on some of this. And I don't know whose job it is to monitor it, but you know, they've got a lot of money, so they've got to figure out some way to, to kind of keep us as a society moving forward on hopefully the moral high ground on a lot of these things. And it, you're right. Who sets that line? I don't know, but I feel like child pornography is a pretty hard line and, and uh, domestic terrorism and self-harm and, um, those things we have to kind of keep an eye on uh, in a lot of ways. Well, and we need to fund. That's uh, like you can. We talked about this in the last show, but like we are not funding to the degree we need to nationally. You know, the the law enforcement folks that are are literally standing at the wall. I think of uh, Jack Nicholson. You know, in A Few Good Men, right when he was like that passionate. You know, you don't, you can't handle the truth. Handle I mean, the truth. Like yeah. I don't want to know the truth. Like even to read that article is just a really. You feel you can feel defiled, just like having words 
you know, describe right. some of that stuff. But, you know, so we, we've got a, an important mandate, I think, to be funding our, our law enforcement officials and people who are, who are defending us. There's a real cost to that in terms of PTSD. I mean, it's, and actually our, our daughter, um, who's here on fall break, you know, she's like, she's majoring in digital forensics and taking computer science. And she, wow, she just cool. spent time with somebody in our local Edmond police department, a, a woman, you know, who, um, is responsible for policing um, some pretty, pretty bad stuff on the internet. So anyway, that's weird how that's now kind of a personal thing, like thinking, well, okay, Sarah, is that something you, you want to do? And I think you, and when you talk about funding, I think it goes in the other direction too. And we need to also be funding mental awareness, mental health. I mean, what, think about the proactive things we could be doing because some of these people are, especially in the case I was in El Paso. Um, I left El Paso 30 minutes before that shooter opened up on that Walmart. My wife and my family and I were right across the street staying at a hotel and we'd gotten up and just, if we'd have made a different decision to stop and grab something before we hit the road to Austin, we would have been in that Walmart with that guy. And I think about how close that was to us. And I started thinking, you know, this guy, you know, it's something going on in his head and you look at, there's some commonalities between all these people. And I wonder how much we've lost in terms of mental health awareness. And we started kind of really cutting back on that. You know, my dad worked for the federal Bureau of prisons for, 25 years. And it's a growth industry. He told me that he's like, they just keep popping up more prisons, but what are they taking out? They're getting rid of the mental health facilities, getting rid of that kind of awareness. And hopefully some of this will bring some of that to light. I think that's another part of it. I don't want to get into the gun debate because I know that's a, <laughs> you can't really win either way on that one. But I do think that everybody agrees that mental health is always, a, is always something we need to keep an eye on. And, and maybe that funding part, like you're saying, helping law enforcement out, but also having that mental health backing with it as well, not only for the people that are committing these things, but you're right for the people that are having to go through and find this stuff. I mean, that's a lot to, to handle as a person. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, that's back to what we were talking about with policing and trying to find the bad actors, you know, and how many people are being commissioned, how much they're being paid and whether they're the, you know, mm -hmm. low, low end of the food chain. So two connections on that. Um, one is um, that, you know, when we think about schools and innovation, I just had a chance to spend a couple of days out in Longmont, Colorado with uh Scott McLeod and some nice. really super innovative folks uh, putting together a innovation leadership certificate, a 12 hour certificate. We were like doing this design sprint. Anyway, one of the things I'm very excited at our school that we um, are, are working towards is the idea of having some intercession innovation time, like between oh, wow. the first and second semester and, and some different independent schools do this. And I think this would be a fantastic thing for public schools to figure out too, right? You got to change the schedule, which is kind of like, you know, moving a mountain. I mean, seriously, I know people who've been Still fired. based on the farmer schedule. Yeah, yeah, I, know, I know, but I know, I know superintendents in Kansas that were fired because they had the audacity to, you know, change the schedule. But um, this idea is, you know, you've got some time for autonomy and creativity to do multidisciplinary. And my connection is to surveillance, right? Wouldn't that be a mm. rich, you know, week, two weeks, if you could have some time to dive into these issues and then really challenge students? Of course, I'm thinking high school kids here primarily, sure. uh, but, but, you know, diving into these issues and grappling with them because these are tough, tough issues. And my other segue here, my, my wife is the real Trekkie in our house. I was a big star Wars guy and she's big star Trek. Like how do we get to the star Trek governance model? Right. I mean, this model where we're not just, Hey, let's go exploit and, you know, take all the resources we can from whatever, you know, uh, asteroid or planet we come to. But, uh, you know, that, I think that's kind of an ideal that that um, 
Uh, I'm trying to think of his, his name, uh, Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry, you know, set up with the, with Star Trek. But seriously, like we need to figure out how we can, um, you know, have, have governance work not only with social media and, and all this, but, um, you know, with, with the tools that we have available, um, it's just, and then surveillance, right? Because the pervasiveness right. of surveillance is crazy today. We're making personal choices in our homes. We're actually a Google home family. So we got like four of the, you know, home minis. Um, and which by the way, I don't know that we've, we do have, we have an article. Hey, why don't I segue to an article? Um, there you go. Under Google, uh, everything Google revealed at its big event. This is from Mashable on October 15th. Um, generally I've, I've heard just kind of underwhelming, like even with the, the pixel phone, there's some, um, you know, more, more advanced. They, they put four cameras on it or something. <laughs> just to yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, some of that is just, you know, we're going to, we're continuing to see the iteration of technology like that for consumers getting better and better, but we're making choices in terms of smart speakers, you know, what company do you trust, et cetera. Uh, but we definitely have mm-hmm. some stuff to grapple with, uh, surveillance. That's, so that's actually kind of a light bulb for me. It's one of the fun things about, you know, talking about issues like this is it makes you, you know, think about, well, what would this mean for schools? And hey, if anybody listening to this already has some kind of a, of a unit that you're doing about surveillance, whether you're, you know, I mean, we could, you could bring this into English, having kids write, you know, persuasive, yay or nay. Uh, I mean, encryption, this is a big deal. Facebook is, is on the brink. I'm, I'm pretty sure of turning, of flipping the switch, of turning that on. And that's going to have a big yeah, impact they are. for law enforcement. And, uh, we need to figure out how we can remain safe as a society, I think, and then not, basically give up all all rights to privacy. Every civil rights movement that has happened in the history, I think, of the planet has involved people having conversations that needed to be private, you know, because if the government of that time and circumstance had the complete ability to listen in on everything that was being said, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King would not have gotten as far as he was, of course, before he was shot. Uh, you know, Mahatma Gandhi, um, yeah. you can just go down the list. So have you heard of anybody doing a surveillance kind of unit or trying to tackle that in a, in a K-12? I, I don't think I have actually. I haven't yet. I'm, I'm going to link to, um, this is a FPF.org. I don't know if you've been aware of the future privacy forum. Um, but they're doing a lot of great work. They're actually, uh, it's a, it's a nonprofit that is doing a lot of media literacy just around the private, privacy sector of things. It, and not just with, uh, schools, but they are, they're, of course, in schools. And I came across them doing some work with future ready schools. And, um, I was just really impressed with the work they're doing and kind of how they're connecting and looking at data breaches, but also just surveillance. And w- what does that look like? When I was in, um, I got, I got the opportunity to go to Australia uh, a couple of times and work with Kathy Hunt and their schools down there. Amazing, amazing teachers. And, but her brother-in-law, is actually, um, and I'll see if I can find his website, but Troy is, uh, Troy Hunt is one of the like global leaders when it comes to actual data privacy. He, he does all over the world on it. And he, he did a, an interesting talk with us. And this is a bunch of teachers, mind you, but talking, talking about which companies are the ones that are actually doing a lot of work. Like the bigger companies, he said, aren't the ones you have to worry about as much. It's these smaller companies that are creating things like uh, a teddy bear that responds to you with some sort of algorithm. And it's made by some little company in China that, doesn't you know they're basically capturing you could hack into it and hear what kids are doing in their bedrooms or what they're talking about and all that information is tracked he said amazon and google he said those companies are so huge they're going to spend a lot of time making sure your stuff is safe obviously but it's those little third-party companies that those are the ones you got to watch out for when you're buying those little toys or the little kind of fake apple watches um and i thought that was pretty pretty profound because someone did ask them like what do you think about alexa or google home and like isn't that evil and he just said you know it's not as evil as you think it is um 
you just have to be aware that there is the opportunity for someone to, to capture that. But you know, those companies are going to protect that data as much as they can because it would it would blow up in their face if that got out, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I put a link in there for the FPF.org, uh, which I think is good. It's got some great uh, – they have something called the uh, – on, on an educational note, they have something called the FERPA Sherpa, which is a different website. But I love it because it's just about apps and companies that are using third-party data and um, which ones are doing a really good job of kind of monitoring that and have signed on to these data privacy agreements and which ones haven't. That's a big hot-button issue in the tech leader world. I know that. We talk about it every time I do one of the future-ready forums. So um, I, I went and dropped those in there, too. Uh, absolutely. I know that uh, Bill Fitzgerald, who's Funny Monkey on Twitter and works for Common Sense Media and heads up their privacy initiative, um, Susan Bearden also has posted on that FERPA Sherpa. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are these are huge, hugely important um, issues. So let's see. Why don't we talk a little bit? Let's let's talk wellness. Transition something a little more fun. Let's, well, you know what? Hey, we with all these things we can. Uh, kind We're of getting just, pretty deep. We can just go deep into it. But so let's talk a little bit about wellness. I know that's a big topic for you. Um, the link I dropped in here was actually a note to self podcast episode, which that has gone walled garden um, as a podcast, which that. I'm kind of bummed. Uh, and Jason's yeah. talked about it, like because he's subscribed but hadn't. I don't know if he's. Anyway, it's it. I we we found some. I stumbled across some statistics. We did a podcasting conference with Story Chasers about a month ago. China is having huge ad revenue and just revenue through. And, and yeah, it's actually not ad revenue; it's subscription revenue from podcasting because their model is not open. It is a subscription based model, and so Which there are definitely folks yep. that want that. They want that to happen. You know, even the purchase of Gimlet Media and Anchor by Spotify, you know, is like, okay, are we going to try to just bring all these podcasts, you know, within this walled garden? And what are we going to do? But this article, um, or it's actually a podcast, it's called Why Everyone is Talking About Digital Minimalism. And so I'll just give a little summary here and then, and then see what, what you think, Carl. But it is an interview with Manush Samarodi, who is the, the hostess of the fantastic note to self. It's a WNYC yep. studios production and she's interviewing Cal Newport. And I, uh, a friend of mine, uh, shout out Eric Ebert, uh, who is our computer science teacher at school has talked to me about Cal's book, deep work. And before the show, uh, we were reflecting a little bit on interruptions and differences and not being, you know, directors of technology and ed tech and things like that, because the deep work book is saying, we need the capacity in, in this world of knowledge economy to have long periods of uninterrupted thought and problem solving and just not, you know, having the world ping in on us and, and interrupt. But this podcast references that a little bit, but it talks about uh, digital minimalism. And so uh, he has never had a social media account and is really an outlier, I think, with respect to, you know, technology. Um, I, I have transformative learning experiences basically on a daily basis because of my connection with social media. I mean, my opportunity, I, I, I think of it as hanging out with brains, right? Cause I've, anytime I want to say, Hey, what is, what's Carl been doing lately? You know, you're a generous sharer and you, um, you know, have, have different links that you share, things like that. Podcasts. I just, my, and of course I can get tired of it too. It's, I love to, I love to go camping. We were two weeks off the grid this summer, which is the first time since I've been connected. I think that I was two weeks mostly disconnected, right? We had to go into town to buy some food and we, we did turn on our sure. phones. But anyway, I, I think his digital minimalism, what it really has me thinking about is 
you know, is creativity and wellness. They, one of the things they talk about are some companies that were requiring employees to take one day off a week. We're talking during the work week um, to basically just be able to think and process stuff and not not have your email, you know, coming in to tell you to be interrupted. And I know one of the personal struggles I'm dealing with right now is far because I got to write. I mean, I've got. I've got books to update and I've got new books inside me that I got to write. They don't write themselves. And so, uh, yeah. What, what do you think about all that, Carl? Is there anything to that as far as interruptions and wellness and all that stuff? I think you could take the word digital off of it. I think you, I think you, I think we need to start striving for a little more minimalism in general. And I think, uh, I was reading an article last night. It was a random, of course, on Twitter because I, I, you know, fell prey to the, the black hole myself. Um, about how Russia tried to do this thing where they had an always going work week back in the back in the days of Stalin, where essentially they would take workers and say, okay, we're, we're not going to have a seven day work week. There's no more weekends and we're going to rotate. Each group is going to take a certain day off. If you're the purple group, you have this day off and so on and so forth. So that they're always working all the time, all productivity. Of course, everyone just totally, that people just blew up in everyone's face and everyone got burned out. Well, there's talk now that we're kind of facing a similar circumstance here because now, even people like me who are working just, you know, on our own, there's also, you know, when I'm side jobs, okay, maybe I'll go work for Uber on the side. So there's never actually any downtime whatsoever. We're overscheduling our kids. We're overscheduling ourselves. And it's getting to a point where it's like, we just don't see our friends anymore. You know, it just becomes harder to be, to be with your friends. And we're, and my wife and I, we went camping this weekend too, actually. And we're talking about the idea that, you know, maybe we should have, we joked about the day after Thanksgiving, having a Friendsgiving, you know, and just, and like putting it on the calendar now because it's six weeks away. That way our friends can say like, okay, yeah, I'm not too busy then. But we become so busy just in general. That's a big part of it. The digital part does, I, I agree. It does have something to do with that. And I, I, I'm somebody who turns off all my notifications. Um, there's only one person that can text me that I'll actually see it or get an alert. And she's the most important person in my life. She's probably watching this right now. I love you, honey. Um, that said, um, I do think it's important that we, that we turn off some of those things. And when we want to actually get into deep work, I don't know if you're this way, but when I'm writing books, like I find that I need to listen to some kind of rhythmic music. I go to a really kind of weird looking coffee shop. that's not very comfortable. I get into that creative space and I just start jamming out words, but everything else is off. I, I'm not checking Twitter. I'm not checking my email. It's just, I'm in the work and I get in a really good creative zone. And I do think that as students, we need to also teach them how to do that as well, how to turn off notifications when it's time to, to plug in. Not everybody likes music, by the way. I mean, some people want complete silence. Um, so I think it's just another skill we need to teach in that executive functioning skill of like how to actually keep away the distractions and just focus on what you're doing. I do like that focus work. And Manoush, by the way, she came, um, I don't know if you know this, but she's our keynote speaker at LearnFest my, this last year at Eanes. Um, yeah, I know. Oh my she gosh, wow. She was a great get. Um, and she was amazing. We got to have a good conversation um, for fun. I, I knew that she doesn't watch Game of Thrones. So I, of course, asked her on stage about some Game of Thrones. Like, how did she think of the ending? And she just gave me the funniest answer. It was funny. She's like, oh my gosh, that show. But um, she, you know, she wrote the book Bored and Brilliant, which I, which is, a, it goes a lot to the fact that if we have some time to be bored, we're also going to be more creative. And I do see that still with our kids and ourselves. If you can just kind of sit and stare, I've, I've started challenging adults to do this. Like when you go into an elevator, don't take out your phone, just, just sit, stand in the elevator with a bunch of other people on their phone and just smile at them. Now they will think you're kind of creepy, um, but it's a fun little challenge or you go to an airport or you go to the dentist's office. Just not, don't do anything and just sit. And even if it's just five minutes of quick, like reflection and meditation, it's made me so much more productive to have that five minutes every day in my life. Um, and I think it's just something that everyone needs, whether it be with prayer, whether it be with meditation, whether it be with whatever, you know, every person's different. I think just having that moment to reflect 
does add to that. And minimal, minimalism is a big part of that. And that goes not just the digital side. So a very long answer, sir, for that question. No, I, I, I knew I could, could toss that one to you and uh, you'd have a few things to say. So our golden retriever here is coughing next to me. So, all right. Well, uh, <laughs> An adult cough that was getting no, us. That, dog it's our dog. Who's, yeah, she's now on some antibiotics. So we, oh, no. We're not exactly sure what it is, but she was just at the vet. Okay, uh, let's get a couple uh, kind of different ones. This is a sign of the times. I put this in the show last or two weeks ago and didn't get to talk about it. Headline, men hack electronic billboard, play porn on it. Uh, this is <laughs> Ars Technica from October 1st, and this happened in... I thought it was Illinois. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, no. Detroit suburb of Auburn. Oh, Hill. Dearborn. Yeah. Police oh, are trying Hill, to find definitely. two men who broke into the control room of an electronic billboard in the Detroit suburb of Auburn Hills. The men caused a pornographic video to play on both sides of the billboard, which is located next to Interstate 75 around 11 p.m. Saturday evening. Videos of the billboard quickly began to circulate. And basically it was up there for about, uh, 20 minutes. So anyway, I've, um, I've wondered, you've, I've, I've heard of like the text only, you know, construction ones getting hacked and, and goofy things being up there. Uh, but yeah, here, here we are in the days of full screen motion video on billboards and, you know, guess what hackers are, are going to do. So I'm, I'm expecting you probably haven't seen anything in, in your travels, uh, like that, have you, Carl? I've never seen that billboard, uh, that's for sure. Um, but it's interesting because one of the links goes to the social media post and I wasn't even looking at the post itself, but I started scrolling to the comments. And it's amazing how many people are like, this is awesome, or this is great, or, you know, I give credit to so-and-so. But then someone else actually says, I think that guy, because they took a picture, I guess, with a security camera or something, uh, of the two gentlemen walking in with hoods on their heads. And, and one person said, wait, I think that looks like so-and-so. So they actually tagged somebody on social media who I wonder if they got caught later because of it. Um, what an interesting, I, I don't know where to go with this, but I mean, yeah, obviously, well, they're having a connected world, you're going to have more opportunities for this with the electric billboards or, right. I mean, we've talked, I don't know, at length about autonomous cars and the fact that, you know, that's great, but what if someone hacks into them? I mean, there's always going to be, think about technology since the, be the beginning of time, right? If you could, if you carve something on a cave wall, there's some general need that there'd be some nudity into it. I mean, think about photographs and cameras when they first came around, one of the very first things people did was take like nude photographs. Um, it just seems like technology is always, tied to that kind of world and we live in a very you know this country especially is very you know kind of have a puritan based country so we we take we take pornography pretty pretty heavily um so seeing something like that is 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 kind of alerting but also like i doesn't surprise me i mean it's, it's, like, a, it's, a, sign, it's a sign of the times right these kind of things totally. are, are going to happen um let's see i think you dropped in the john oliver article you want to talk about that one yeah that was I think this is, um, this goes out to, a uh, shout out to Rebecca Rocco, who's on my Facebook uh, feed and sh and she had posted it. I, and I watched it originally. And when I dropped it in here, I didn't realize it was from several years ago, but you know, that guy, I, I love that show. It's, uh, last week, uh, tonight by John Oliver on the, uh, on HBO. Not a, so not, a, a week. not really a safe for school. So if you're going to watch that, you know, yeah, uh, probably do that at home. Right. Yeah. He does drop some language. Um, but one of the things I like that he does that I don't see other people in this field and the, and the late night talk show, he'll doing is, is he'll ask, you know, very, very direct questions about things, but then also he'll do something about them. So in this case, he spent a 20 minute bit really going into the length of which people are in debt, not just college debt, but in this case, um, medical debt. And there's companies out there that are basically preying upon these people and saying, you know, for this, for, for pennies on the dollar, I will buy up all this debt. And then I'm going to attack all these people and try to get their money from them. So that, so banks are selling it to him because like, we're not going to make this money back. So can you give us, you know, 
you know, in this case, it was $60,000 to buy $15 million worth of debt. And so what he did is he just spent a little bit of time and research on it. And 50 bucks later, he was able to get set up as one of these companies. He called it, um, it was like credibility after reliable protection or something, carp, which is a bottom feeding fish. Uh, so he's a bottom feeder. Um, he even made light of it. But then what he did is amazing. He went and he actually, uh, within minutes of setting up his website, someone reached out to him and said, hey, we have $15 million worth of debt. We'll sell it to you for $60,000. And it was in Texas. And it was about 9,000 people that owed tons of medical debt that they were never going to be able to pay back. I mean, it was like one of the ladies, I think her husband had fallen ill. And after four days with a respirator in the hospital, the, the hospital's like, hey, you owe us $80,000. And she's like, this is she's like, this is how my life is going to end. I'm going to be owning hospitals for the rest of my life. So he went in and did something amazing. Like he forgave them all. So he just decided, I'm going to buy it up. And then he went to a, a nonprofit and the, who buys up some of the debt as well and said, let's go in this together and forgave all 9,000 people of their debt, which he says, and I, I think it's true, was the largest ever giveaway in the history of television because Oprah's car moment was like $8 million in cars. Remember when she goes, you get a car and you get a car. And they added it up and they said they figured at that moment it cost about $8 million for her to do that. And they said, so he essentially just spent $15 million on clearing everyone of their debt, which I thought was just an awesome way to do, to do like not only talk about what the problem is, but also say, let's do something about it just to make a little dent. That's what I love about his shows, but you're right. Not, not, not necessarily safe for work. But yeah, we, we've talked about it before because the FCC, you know, when they got overwhelmed with comments, it, it was really attributable to him who was calling, you know, on his followers, Hey, let's do something about net neutrality. Um, and so there's, yeah, a lot of ways in which, and I think this is something, let's tie it to digital citizenship, like student voice activism, how we responsibly use our voices and we advocate for the good. That is a hugely important thing for us to be, you know, talking with students and not just talking about, but, but doing. So I think there's some great, great modeling. Well, think, about, think about Greta Thunberg, you know, the, um, the young 12 year old who had the climate change activist, you know, who, who's really overnight sensation and, and whether or not agree or disagree or whatever with climate change, again, that's a whole nother thing. But the fact that she was able to kind of quickly raise a voice and, and, and put herself out there with a lot of her own backing. I mean, she, she got a boat to get over here. I mean, all the things that she did to get here, it's just an amazing story. I do think a lot of this falls on them. You were talking earlier about surveillance and, you know, teaching kids about these things. And I think, I think they're the, they hold the key to all of our futures, obviously, anyway, just based on their age, but also they're going to have to make a decision about climate change, a decision about, you know, how much data is too much data that we're giving away. And, and I think it's, it's getting to where, uh, unfortunately, and going back to the minimalism, minimalism conversation, we're kind of taking away some of their childhood because we're kind of forcing them into these decisions, making them grow up faster than they probably should be in some ways. And, and, uh, and I'm hoping that it swings back to where there's a balance of fun in there too for them. But um, I mean, you're, you're talking about, I mean, we're impressed with the kid who's 19 years old, like you're saying that creates a company and, and can do these amazing things. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, 19, I was still just kind of having fun and figuring out life. I think there has to be some balance of that in there too, um, to go back to that other conversation. But yeah, it's a, it's again, it's a bugaboo uh, tying it all together. Absolutely. Uh, well, this is all under the miscellaneous tag, so we're just going to kind of jump around here. But uh, this was what yeah. I just read tonight. Uh, T-Mobile and Sprint get FCC approval to merge in 3-2 party line vote. And this was Ars Technica today on October 16th. Mm. We have talked about this one uh, a bit. Uh, again, not just taking it from a political standpoint, but technology as well. Like it's a big deal as far as access, right? Uh, universal access, and I, you know, worked for AT and T for two years, and learned a lot about E rate, and um, it, you know, government regulation has been a hugely important 
thing in our in our nation's history, electrifying the country, bringing electricity to everybody, and then also bringing phone service. And so it's been interesting because, you know, in not that long, not it hasn't been for that long, you know, now the telcos have been able to say, well, you can get cellular service and that, and therefore we don't need to, you know, bring that phone line to you, but high-speed internet. And so this all ties into 5G. So, I mean, I'm a T-Mobile customer. I've been very happy with them. If you read this article, um, what the Democrats, who were the two dissenting votes in this FCC vote, and, and by the way, the Justice Department has cleared this, but there's still a state's attorney general lawsuit that they have to you know, overcome. Basically, it's going to allow uh, T-Mobile to subsume Sprint. And their argument has been, you know, to compete against AT&T, Verizon, we've got to be bigger and, and this has got to happen. They're, they're promising that we're going to have more rural broadband. 5G is going to go out faster and it's going to go out to more people in the United States. So from a digital divide standpoint, that sounds good. But the quotes in this article uh, by the, the, again, the Democratic dissenters are saying, you know, with pharmaceutical companies being, you know, charged by the bag, smaller seats, um, higher prices with pharmaceuticals, they're, they're saying in general, what we see is, you know, fewer uh, players, you know, in the, in, in the marketplace, um, you know, worse for consumers. So uh, where, where have you all been, I guess, as a family with, with regards to cell phone plans and all that stuff? And then as far as what T-Mobile is, is one. Yeah, I, I, you know, I never for really big monopolism. And I think of it as the merging stuff it kind of bothers me somewhat. I'm a Verizon. We're a Verizon family. We have been T-Mobile. We were Sprint. We've kind of gone all over the map. I don't think we've done AT&T yet. Um, and then my parents are on what they call consumers. It's called consumer cellular. Um, it's like, I don't know, fly by night. You buy it at the mall type cellular. But they like it and it's cheap and it works for them. Um, so I do think there are some companies that crop up because of it. But when you're talking about not only when you're talking about schools and where that falls in with the E-rate, it's kind of interesting. Um, and I can't remember the school. In fact, he actually wanted to keep it sort of quiet, but because he was worried about the backlash that would happen if it got out publicly. There's a school I was talking to just a couple of weeks ago who um, parlayed this little rule called it's there's something called band 41. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically a frequency band where most most cellular carriers carry it. And it's a, it's a pretty large amount of bandwidth and it handles tons of data all over the place, but you can patch into it. And what he was able to do, his school district was able to do is they won basically kind of a lawsuit to say, we want to patch into this band 41 for our students. So people at home that don't have access can kind of piggyback on this band. So it's every, it's pretty much everywhere. Every cellular network in the world is doesn't matter what your carrier is. You can kind of tie into this band and they were able to do it for a whole, for almost nothing. Um, which really just blew my mind about where we're going to be heading with, you know, even because I, I was talking to him about WiMAX, which is basically two mile wide Wi-Fi ranges that the military uses. And like, is there any application for that? And he said, why even bother? Because if you can tether to this band 41, essentially everyone in your community can have access to it. So they're basically routing through it and then going through the district server, uh, district uh, filters to make sure everything's appropriate on that end. Um, and, and I asked, I kept asking, like, can you give me more information? And he was like, he was afraid. Honestly, he told me he was afraid because he thought the cell phone companies were going to get mad or find out or send hackers his way, basically as a way to kind of say, we don't want anyone else to know about it. So there's nothing publicly about this, except for the fact that I'm saying it now, but I didn't say his name or school district. But if you do a little research there, those of you out there in the tech world, um, I think it could be the key to unlocking the big gap that we've seen when it comes to, I mean, a lot of people have cell phones now in their home, so it's not as big a gap as it used to be, but um, the idea that there's still this idea that not every household has some access to that. So uh, it's 
a kind of a weird steer from where you were going with it. But I, I want, I remember when you brought it up, it just triggered that memory in my head. I was blown away with what he described to me and it, it does work because everybody in his district has access to, to internet um, just because they're on this global band. Wow. Hey, I apologize. I guess my connection was getting wonky and pixelated there. Peggy was uh, pointing that out. Is, am I better now or is, oh. this, is it still messed up or was it okay for you? Uh, uh, you were getting a little pixelated for a little while. I'll, I thought it was me. So I started turning, I had too many tabs open looking at all the links. Yeah, and stuff. No, it's probably my girls. Like I've got, yeah, all these people streaming. I've got my Google Wi-Fi on Netflix. Supposed to be, yeah, I know that used to be quality of service at our house. I would shout before the show, everyone off Netflix. <laughs> now I've got the Google Wi-Fi with this prioritization. I'm supposed to like, you know, give myself the quality Throttle of service. Throttle it down. There you go. Yeah. So much for that. Well, we are getting close to the top of the hour. And so okay. ah, Peggy says it's still not great. You know what? I'm going to let you go first with Geeks of the Week. I'm going to mute myself and invite everyone to stop using their, their internet at my house. So what do you have for us for uh, Geek of the Week? All right, go yell at them while I go through the Geeks of the Week. Um, so for me, my Geek of the Week, I, two of the things I posted in there, um, one comes from a good friend of mine. This is Brett Selakis in Australia, and he is uh, doing a lot of work, a lot of great work down there with the Ministry of Education. And one of the things he shared with us recently was this learn with league. And um, one of the things we talked about very early in the show was the idea between esports kind of becoming this bigger thing. And so what I love about it is it, it talks, uh, I went in and, and clicked on the link and I looked at the video and kind of watched a little bit about it. And the idea that kids that aren't necessarily in um, athletic sports now are starting to find these places where they have the connections and bonds to a very big audience. And it's not, um, it kind of, it kind of goes into detail about the stereotypes around gaming, which is like, you're very antisocial and you stare at your screen. Um, it, it, the, what they show is a complete opposite of that. If you ever watch uh, any of these big game gaming conventions where like the one you were talking about, where they basically won all these big prizes, that's a very loud audience. There's people screaming, there's teamwork happening on the fly. Um, one thing I learned that uh, at a recent tech and learning event was there are schools in Texas that are doing this now where they actually have leagues that are starting up. It's not a, it's not a sport yet uh, officially by the UIL, but um, there are teams that actually do something called smurfing, which I've never heard of. Um, but essentially what they do is they create a false account, uh, another account, another avatar, and they go in and they play with against some of these other teams as somebody else just to kind of catch their tendencies on how they're playing League of Legends. And I was like, man, there's some next level stuff happening here with 16 and 17 year olds again with the idea that they are part of a team and it's a collaborative effort. Now, some people, again, will say like, oh, they're just staring at their screens too much and it's awful. Um, but I do think it needs to see that some of these kids have a place and they're part of a team and it's. I, I just thought it was a neat thing. So I linked to it in there and it's, it's really about high schools in Australia, but hoping that it comes to more of the States uh, in the future. Awesome. I think you got one more too. Yeah. The other one, the Nebula capsule, this is more of a geeky item. And it was one that uh, I think it a shout out to Matt Holly at Lubbock Cooper high, uh, ISD um, Lubbock. And he showed me this at his house at first. And it's just a little, it's um, I don't think I have it with me, but it, it's a, uh, it's about the size of a Coke can. And I've been looking for a mini projector for my entire life. I was like, I can't find one that really has good quality visual um, screen uh, lumens and all of that. And this one I found and I got on Amazon Prime. I think it was like 250 bucks. So I bought it. I was like, I'll play with it and see what it is. So it's got built in Netflix and Hulu. It also has built in AirPlay, which is powerful if you're coming from like in our case, an all Apple house or an Apple school, for example. Um, it does have an HDMI connection. So if you have Chromebooks, you could plug straight into those two and a half hour battery life. And so I started just kind of tossing this idea around. And one of the teachers I work with in um, Western Springs, um, Dave Roberry is a seventh grade math teacher. He was like, you know what I've always wanted to do is I wanted to set up stations in my classroom where kids could actually do some small group work and project on the white surfaces around the room. 
And so what he did uh, just recently is he got four of them. So for a thousand bucks, um, less than the cost of a single projector, big time smart boards that's costing you know, three or four thousand dollars. He basically set up four of these little things. And then when there's there's time to do group work, he has them kind of move their desks over and they project in four different corners. He stands in the middle of the room and can kind of see each of the kids kind of working things out using these little nebula projectors. I thought, wow, that's kind of next level. And it, it's pretty neat. You can project it on any surface. There's no zoom. The zoom is you move it back farther from the wall. So still fairly rudimentary. I think the newer ones out, it's like a, the, the capsule two is like $400, a little more expensive, but uh, good quality sound. It looks like a little Alexa. And anyway, I thought I'd throw that in there because it's a fun little geeky gift and, and great for, I got it as a gift, but I didn't realize the classroom applications until I saw it in Dave's room uh, just today, actually, uh, here in Western Springs. So it was, uh, I don't know, potential there for, for schools that are looking for inexpensive ways to have more kind of display surfaces and kids to present their information. Absolutely. I was just commenting to to our son, who I got to see this last weekend out in Colorado, that we were in a bookstore and had 150,000 books. And I love bookstores, you know, and, and the process, yeah. like, how do you discover new things that you're going to read and with filters? And I said, you know, someday at my house, we're going to have a whole wall. It's just going to be nothing but projection. And what I want is to be able to, and of course, AI, this is a weird thing, right? Netflix doesn't let you just see what your friends are watching because they know if they watch your habit patterns and use machine learning, they can, they can actually do better with what they think and predict you're going to want to watch. But anyway, just being able to see, you know, books and, and videos and things, content basically that, uh, you know, people I mean, that are passionate about similar things, I would love to, you know, be able to turn that on. And, and so anyway, that's, that's pretty cool because there's, there's a way to be able to do that and, and teachers are doing it now. So my just don't do it during your, uh, just don't do it during your digital minimalism week or exactly. whatever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Your day off, off right? Week. Your day yeah. off. Definitely. So, uh, two quick ones for me. One of them is yell key, uh, URL shorteners, uh, particularly for, you know, conference events. I find myself, you know, being back in the classroom this year, uh, definitely using my Google classroom, uh, as my primary way to be able to share links. I have a, a website as well. We do wonder links, you know, in our little class meeting time to kick off classes. Um, so I wouldn't use this as much with students that I'm regularly working with because I'll have another, you know, other channels. But, uh, Yell Link is fun because you can actually limit it if you don't want to have that out there perpetually. And then it'll give oh, you nice. a, an actual word, a common word. So unlike a, you know, randomly generated tiny URL or bit.ly. Uh, so, uh, that is a, a good website. And, um, the other thing I put in there, um, was 10 and this is a reverse image search. So actually when I was out in California, I, um, well, this last summer I went to the, the digital literacy, uh, summer institute that Renee Hobbs puts on with the University of Rhode Island out in Providence. It's going to be in Chicago this next year. Loved it. It was fantastic. It was a whole week. Uh, and so that's a lot of my, you know, passion and, and, you know, new connections for media literacy came from there. Well, um, <laughs> there was someone actually in our church who had just shared you know, this light, this little statement, uh, and it was, it was a faith based statement, but I was like, who is that? You know, and the, the, the uh, Twitter account has like 10 followers. It started in January. It's called share this more. And then you go to it and it's this pretty outlandish stuff. So anyway, the, for her students, and this was a hashtag that one of Renee Hobbs, Dr. Hobbs, uh, students was using for their media literacy class. That's how I stumbled upon this, and I ended up doing a little bit of research with the because um, she she wanted to 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 find out where um, a meme that had been shared uh, politically. It's actually one that shows 
Trump and Melania, uh, if I'm saying her name right, um, you know, standing in front of, of, uh, you know, gates and, and it was a, it was a political meme. But anyway, where did it come mm. from? Found it on the Internet Archive, but then, you know, found that by doing a reverse image search. So the point is doing a reverse wow, image search. Cool. It was kind of fun. And I don't know that for sure, like it, it, the first things that come up on 10 you can do a reverse image search on Google. And so that's a really good thing to know. Um, but it also, you know, I, I like 10 as far as the dates. And so it was on us on a website for sale, like buy this on a mug and a t-shirt, like on the 24th of July, 2018. And then when you looked at the file name or whatever, it was from, you know, this, uh, uh this Canadian newspaper and, and then it had a date of the 23rd. So, wow, you know, that's wrote, cool. I like, I, and I I'll write a, on that. I, well, and then what I did is I tweeted back and I said, Hey, uh, if you all can look into this, Oh, because the website, this is like a, a great, this is going to be a great blog post. I think um, it said, Hey, we're founded by so-and-so who's like saving children in Africa. And like, I think they just grabbed this woman's picture and are, are saying, Hey, this is who we are, you know, and where is this coming from? Like, where's the IP address wow. and all that stuff. So most of the time we're not probably going to do a deep dive into that to like, go, where is this coming from? But I, it was just this, this perfect thing where I'm like, this vid, this, this picture got shared and, it, and it's a nice picture, but this is one of the things that's happening and we got the election coming up, right? Groups yep. are trying to get followers and identifying, like, if you are a person of faith, you're a Christian, for instance, and there's, you know, messages here, or if you like cute dog and, and cat pictures or whatever, or maybe you're pro gun lobby, right? They will be sharing these things, but then they will utilize that channel to share political things. And so the, anyway, that 10 is a good website. That is pretty profound. And, uh, the one thing I, I guess I didn't actually say in the media literacy, this is from the SIFT model of Mike Caulfield that, um, that, uh, Edu Quinn, uh, has, has turned me on to, um, emotion. You know, when we get emotionally activated, when we see something, that's a flag and it's actually a time to try to stop, not immediately hit the share button. And if we have time, uh, and it's actually a good thing to make time, especially before we share something, you know, check it out because a lot like of times that. people are trying to push our buttons and pull our levers. This is happening on a global level. And this is, this is part of the problem we kind of started talking about with polarization and things like that. Why are we so polarized? It, in part, it's because there are groups that want us to be polarized, angry at each other. And so that Mike Caulfield, um, Dave Quinn is Edgy Quinn on Twitter. And, and he was the one who, anyway, when I did that workshop last spring, put me on to the SIFT model and it's, the, you know, it's media literacy and, and, and man, we've all need it. Like our parents do, grandparents, all of us, everybody, yes. you know, it's not everybody, like, not just kids. Those meddling yep. kids, those kids are just yeah. the source of all the problems. I mean, who's sharing all this on Facebook? It ain't the teenagers. They're not on Facebook. You know, it's it's older adults. So you anyway. You gave me a whole idea. That we need to do a spinoff of Scooby-Doo somehow. Where we're walking around. We're running around the mystery machine and revealing the face of the person behind it. It was old man Smithers, you know, at the amusement park. But we need to have a team of us that run around and do this stuff to all of us. That's awesome. I love that idea. Well, the reason I said that was my daughter with her friend group was trying to figure out what they were going to be for Halloween because I think they did like uh, Stranger Things last year or whatever, but they didn't have enough characters in Scooby-Doo. And we're like, people can just be the monsters. All they have to do is take <laughs> off their mask every once in a while and go, those meddling kids, you know, and be perfect. <laughs> I love right. it.
All right. Well, hey, where can people find you when you're not, you know, tuning into the EdTech Situation Room through StreamYard from Chicago? Uh, okay. Well, a couple, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Hooker, my website, carlhooker.com now. Um, also my blog at Hooked on Innovation. Uh, a couple little, uh, well, a couple little tidbits just to drop real quick, um, with your show, uh, listeners. And that is, um, well, I'll be, first of one thing, uh, I will be in Hong Kong in a month. So, um, we'll see how that goes. We've had a lot well, of, I know a lot of things happening over there. Yeah. Um, working with Chinese international schools on a weekend. So, uh, I've been told uh, they're all going to take care of me and just, they've been really good about, showing where the protesters are, but I'll be curious to see what it's like over there. Just, I love the global perspective. So getting to see it firsthand. Have you been there um, before? I'm not. Uh, oh, so go on a, go I on will... a, go on a, the junk tour of the Harbor. If you can do an evening Harbor tour, I was there okay. about seven, eight years ago. Unbelievable. Um, I won't be wearing a free Hong Kong shirt or anything like that. Cause I do know it's a communist country. So I gotta be careful about that, but very curious to see like what's going on over there. And, and it's really near and dear to what's happening right now around here too, with comments from LeBron James. I mean, you've seen all of it. So anyway, that's one thing. But the other thing I want to announce that, that uh, I don't think has been released by the press yet, but it's going to come out, I think, next week is um, I'm actually going to be a podcast host um, myself. So not competing with Wes because nothing can compete with this. This is a this is a great show and I love being a part of it again. Um, and I hope to come on again. But we're doing a podcast uh, through ISTE, actually, called Learning Unleashed. And it'll be a short podcast, just about 15 minutes, um, starting out featuring some authors and things like that. But I hope to kind of grow it into something else uh, as, it, as it kind of evolves. But excited i've done a podcast a long time ago but uh being on yours and being on and several other folks that i that i love in the community it's just it's kind of inspired me to do it and so when they reach out to me about it i was like yes absolutely i want to be a part of it so hopefully i can return the favor and have you on my podcast uh, sometime down the road awesome well you know i honestly think podcasting has an important role to play in democratic governance right the chance to yes. be able to listen not just have to do a sound bite be able to articulate things. Um, you know, I, I think it's a fantastic medium and it's, it's really just going to continue to grow. So, all right. Well, I am W Fryer on Twitter. You can find me at speedofcreativity.org periodically. I've got several different posts that have churned in my head since I had this design sprint out in Longmont. Uh, you can also check out the curriculum, which I'm sharing for our fifth and sixth grade media and digital literacy classes at MD Tech. Uh, for like middle division, uh, mdtech.cassidy.org. And we will include those links as well as the other things that Carl and I have talked about tonight on the show links that will be on edtechsr.com. So we want to thank you for tuning in. We went a couple minutes beyond. Thank you so much, Peggy, for sticking with us to the end and any others. And Love uh, you, Peggy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, hope that this some fall weather is coming your way in Phoenix as well. So until next time, this has been Wes Fryer with Carl Hooker in the EdTech Situation Room saying stay savvy and stay safe until next time. Bye.